You need a support group? Can you believe that you can be broke even though you have big fat checks still coming in? Nah, the studio audience dutifully shrieked. Elvira remembered to tuck her stomach in, then reached for Willie's hands and entwined his fingers in hers. She didn't want him to look nervous on the television screen. A lot of their family and friends would be watching. Sister Cordelia, Willie's oldest sister, had invited a whole crowd of retired nuns to the convent to see the show. Three men observing the program with avid interest were not Donahue's usual viewers. Sammy, Clarence, and Tony had just been released from the maximum security prison near Albany, where they'd been guests of the state for 12 years for their part in the armed robbery of a Brinks truck. Unfortunately for them, they never got to spend their $600,000 heist. The getaway car had blown a tire a block from the scene of the crime. Now, having paid their debt to society, they were looking for a new way to get rich. The idea of kidnapping the relative of a lottery winner was Clarence's brainchild. That was why they were watching Donahue today from their seedy room in the shabby Lincoln Arms Hotel on 9th Avenue and 40th Street. Tony, at 35, was 10 years younger than the others. Like his brother Sammy, he was barrel-chested with powerful arms. Small eyes disappeared into the folds of flesh from hooded lids. His thick, dark hair was unkempt. He obeyed his brother blindly, and his brother obeyed Clarence. Clarence was a total contrast to the others. Small, wiry, and soft-voiced, he emitted a chilling aura. With good reason, people were instinctively afraid of him. Clarence had been born without a conscience, and a number of unsolved homicides would have been cleared from the books if he had talked in his sleep during his incarceration. Sammy had never admitted to Clarence that Tony had been joyriding in the getaway car the night before the Brinks robbery and had run over a street full of glass. Tony would not have lived to express his regret that he hadn't checked the tires. One of the lottery winners who'd invested in the horses was whining, There wasn't enough money in the world to feed those nags. His partners nodded vigorously. Sammy snorted. Those jerks can't rub two nickels together. He reached to turn off the set. Wait a minute, Clarence snapped. Alvira was speaking. We weren't used to money. I mean, we lived a nice life. We had a three-room apartment in Flushing and still kept it just in case the state goes broke and tells us to take a flying leap for the rest of our checks. But I was a cleaning woman and Willie a plumber and we had to be careful. Plumbers make a fortune, Donahue protested. Not Willie, Alvira smiled. He spent at least half his time fixing things free at rectories and convents and for people who were hard up. You know how it is. It's so expensive to get sinks and toilets and tubs working, and Willie felt that this was his way of making life easier for other people. He still does it. 
Well, surely you've had some fun with the money, Donahue asked. You're very well dressed. Elvira remembered to get in a plug for the Cypress Point Spa as she explained that, yes, indeed, they had fun. They'd bought an apartment on Central Park South. They traveled a lot. They gave to charity. She wrote articles for the New York Globe, and she'd been fortunate enough to solve some crimes along the way. She'd always wanted to be a detective. Nevertheless, she concluded firmly, in the five years since we've been winners, we've saved half of every single check, and that money is all in the bank. Clarence, followed by Sammy and Tony, joined in the vigorous applause of the studio audience. Clarence was smiling now, a thin, mirthless smile. Two million bucks a year. Let's stay on.